Welcome back. Hello again, mate. How are you? Yeah, not bad. We're in a new room. Different. Yeah, yeah I like this, though. We're on a sofa, comfy chairs. We're all three of us just chilled back. It's nice. This isn't Sanctus, but it feels very Sanctus. Well, it is called The Gym. And obviously, our big vision is to put a mental health gym on the high yeah. street. So yeah, it yeah. is quite fitting that we're sitting in the gym. I do like it. It's definitely my kind of gym. It's got more sofas in than like <laughs> less, weights. Yeah. Less gym equipment. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I suppose we start with... We have a guest today mm-hmm. who is one of the investors of Sanctus. Tom is an investor in Sanctus and a customer, one of the first customers. But why did you, you know, you emailed to say, just listen to the last one about, mm. would you sell Sanctus? Why did you get in touch and want to be here this morning? So, sorry, Scotty, I've just jumped in. No, no, it's fine. I won't do that again. <laughs> uh, I, th- I think that the stuff that you were talking about, uh, you know, feels very relevant to some of the things that that I or we in my other business think, you know, and obviously I've got a business, we work with a lot of startups, we help them work with big corporates and, you know, we sit in this space where people do talk about billion dollar businesses and all that kind of stuff and, you know, I've been around this world for a long time and there are three people that I met 10 years ago who in the last year are now the founders of billion dollar businesses and that's mind-blowing to me on many levels and it's an amazing achievement but I also know it's incredibly problematic and it's partly driven by huge amounts of money in the world and you know that you couldn't set every business up like that you know if everyone thought that's the only way to set a business up the world would be a mess you know people need to set up businesses that are focused on creating value in all kinds of different ways whether that's value for you know investors or whether it's value in terms of money or value for employees or value for the community so there's you know a myriad of different reasons to create great businesses and that there's this culture it's all about these big headlines big valuations it sounds really glamorous and exciting but that's, again, it's not, it's not reality. And people think that there's a quick flip, that you can set a business up in three to five years, you're going to be a billionaire. And, mm. um, you know, you don't... Uh, and that, A, isn't realistic in many ways. And also, it's not necessary. You know, there's many ways to, you know, create great businesses without having to go down that route. And I think playing the long game you know, is really important. And I think that, um, you know, that difference between, you know, I love the way that you, you sort of juxtaposed or set up the Sports Direct versus Nike kind of thing, mm. you know, are you going to build Sports Direct, are you going to build Nike? It's, you know, it's it's just a fascinating thing. And it's something we think about a lot. There's obviously room in the world for all these different mm. models and approaches, but I think it's not talked about enough that, kind of it's okay to build a business out of revenue it's okay to build a business that isn't like venture backed it's okay to it's not just okay it's amazing you Mm. know and I don't think it's celebrated that you know Mm. people build businesses from revenue without any investment and it's considered almost a bit grubby right it's Mm. like oh what you've only done this Mm. you know well what's your valuation but it's all a bit fake isn't it and so when you say it's problematic for the three people that you know that are now in billion dollar companies, is it problematic for them or for everyone else? I, th- I think it, it, 
it's not problematic for them, I don't think. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I'm sure that's like, it's a tough place to be in many ways, but kind of probably amazing place as well. And, um, you know, but I think it's that expectation. There's obviously been in certain places, there's a lot of money around, you know, those Mm. valuations are driven by these huge sums of money that have become available through, you know, like this vision fund that SoftBank have got where, you know, they've driven these crazy valuations and um, it, it, it sets an expectation up that that is the norm mm. and that if you don't do that, then you failed. You know, you, people go into accelerators or meet investors and if you're not, you know, they're told, if you're not trying to create a billion dollar business, you might as well pack mm. up and go home. Mm. And that's the message that seems to come through and, you know, I, again, think you were talking about you know tech crunch disrupt and things like that and that's that whole world is it's all about what's your valuation that's all they care about really mm. you know it's just it's a number on a bit of paper but it doesn't tell the story of what mm. that business really is and whether it's great or not and what its revenue is and mm. all those kind of things and have you always like felt like that or is this kind of a new thing and like how did you make your your money did you make it in the classic tech way or have you always played the long game well i've had a very slightly circuitous route to where i am i was you know i did an electronic engineering degree and um but i was really into music and i became a musician and uh got signed by warners and had a publishing deal with emi and had a sort of semi-successful music career I didn't for know it. That. yeah wow that's cool played at glastonbury and the montreux jazz festival what? and oh my god i got nominated for mercury music prize oh, and me. had this amazing <laughs> experience <laughs> that then like all imploded around me but that was how did it implode oh that's another is that that's another episode yeah i could talk about that <laughs> wow mate you blew my mind i didn't yeah. realize and and looking back on it I mean, when I was doing my electronic engineering degree, entrepreneurialism wasn't talked about in the way it is now. And the things that I was doing then, now I would have been encouraged to turn into a business, but I didn't know that. And I got into music, was really into music technology, worked in a studio, started making records and ended up with a record deal. But it was an entrepreneurial mm. endeavor. I was self-employed. I started a company that was the, the band had, it was, it was a company. We had to get a record deal. We got money. We that, built, built a studio. We did all this stuff, and it was amazing. Um, and looking back, I can see that that was an entrepreneurial thing. We've, we've talked about that a lot on already, talking about musicians. Like When you talk about that, you've raised money. You've put together a team. Um, yeah. You, the si- yeah, yeah. Signing a deal is like an investment. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, I've seen a lot into it, and a lot of young musicians now, if they choose not to go down the direct route of, mm. of just basically being taken straight into management mm. from, the, from the start, then effectively they're running a business. But you're, and, and your background, Scott, he's like film di- direct, come from the film world. Mm. Mm. When we were talking about the way films are built and yeah. the idea yeah. and the investment behind it, it's very similar to yeah. like and, a tech company's journey. And you it is like raising, getting record deals like raising funding. Yeah. There's a lot of front, right? You have to sell a dream and a vision. And the guy that was the front man of our band, we, we had um, got a meeting with the chairman of Warners, you know, the mo- one of the most powerful men in the British music industry at the time. We went over to his penthouse office on Kensington Church Street. And he had this, you know, white grand piano in his room and everything. And 
we sat there, you know, having a drink with him, and um, he said, you know, so so why should I sign your band? And um, you know, it's like, so why should I invest in you? And so the front man of the band jumped up on his coffee table and went, because we're going to be the next queen. (laughs) And you could see his eyes. He just went, great, fine. You know, it's almost like here's a check. Mm. And we obviously weren't going to be the next queen, right? If it really listened to our music, (laughs) it's the same with investment, right? If they really dug under the surface, it's like saying we're going to be the next Facebook or whatever and not looking at the actual under pinnings of the business to realize that's probably not true or not a reality and when we finished making we went off we got this check I was a kid in a sweet shop I bought all this stuff built a studio it was amazing you know it was a you know long long dream of mine to do that and um, we we sent him the record when we'd finished it and he went but but I thought you said you were going to be the next queen Wow. <laughs> and we were like yeah, didn't you? You, ne- you never listened to our music. It, this is no different to what we were doing, right? So that was an interesting experience and journey. And um, and then when that imploded, I um, I was living in Leeds. I moved to London and um, got a job at this company that was called Gritty, which stood for Get Rich in Two to Three Years, and it was a marketing services business it was a brilliant name the most cynically named company in the world right and and this was like really eye-opening it was run by these two people who had made a lot of money in uh, advertising and marketing um you know the the husband and wife team she had like the biggest diamond ring diamond earrings i've ever, ever seen in my life and you know they'd set this company up to get rich in two to three years and it kind of blew my mind because i'd come from this world where i'd done this band which was a passion thing something i believed in you know yeah you want to be in music because of the the glamour but fundamentally you like making music right you like the getting up in the morning and making music yeah you want to go and do gigs and Mm. you want to be successful and sell records but you a don't lot get there without loving Yeah, a lot of music. musicians would be quite happy to sit there every day and make music, right? Mm. They've got to make money out of it, but that's their underlying passion. And if they could just get a check every month to do that, they'd be in heaven, right? Mm. And um, so I was like... So this well, company was all about money now? Yeah, it was all, and it was all actual. about like... And, and they started talking about, you know, the exit plan, you know, this, like, this quick flip. You know, started talking this language. And I was like... That's, this is the, I remember saying to someone, this is the weirdest thing. You're, setting, you're talking about the exit before you even started. You're working out how you're going to get out of this thing. Like, this just seems, like, really weird to me. Like, like but I guess I learned a lot from that experience. And um, it kind of propelled me into starting my own business. And then I started my own agency. I was only there for a, a, 18 months, really, I think. And... That's the only time in my life I've ever had a job. And Mm -hmm. there were two things about that. The music industry is also, it's it's full of quite Mm. difficult characters, right? And it's very, very competitive. And when I got a job though, it was 
like a relief to me. It was like going on holiday. I turned up, I went home, I got paid. Mm. I was like, this is amazing, mm. you know. Mm. But after 12 or 18 months, I was kind of bored and I wanted to do my own thing. So I started a company and then I went off on this, this route. I started an agency, got interested in the startup thing. I went on an accelerator that was one of the first in the UK that was run 10 years ago up in Middlesbrough that was called the Difference Engine that later became Ignite that I think you guys were involved mm. with and then started exploring this world of startups and entrepreneurs and then started this company, The Bakery, that I now run. And, you know, we've spent the last five or six years, you know, helping startups work with corporates, helping startups raise money, helping corporates innovate by working with startups. And, um, you know, that's been a kind of fascinating mm. thing to be part of and see this whole world evolve and this ecosystem in London evolve. Mm. So, And is that where you've really made your money? When you think back to those previous experiences of like the band and mm. the company that was all about making money, when you actually, you know, running the bakery and running it in the way that you wanted to, have you actually made more money doing that than the other previous ventures? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's been the most successful thing. And, um, and you know, and it's a, an evolving thing, you know, it's growing and, you know, it, it's not a, a finished, in my mind, it's, again, I can see the parallels with that with what you're doing. And it's interesting in that we operate in this space with startups who are raising money, but we've built the bakery completely out of revenue you know we've never had any external investment we've never put any of our own money into it even we've just we've put time into it and energy and I think that that's the thing that people forget sometimes that starting business is all about energy mm. you know it's the energy that you put in to get that flywheel going you know and obviously money can buy other people's time and energy and pay for things but ultimately, it's really about en people's energy and passion and mm. belief in doing that. And um, I'm still amazed at your story yeah, about yeah. the music. <laughs> Honestly, I, I didn't know that. It's incredible. I had so many parallels there with, it's almost like that was your match chat, you know, that experience. Mm. And mm. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. And how did you two first meet then? Where was really, it uh, to be honest, to be fair, Jamo should probably be sitting in that chair because you met Jamo, so... Yeah, I met him when he... I'd no, I actually knew of you before you invested. Right. Just through, like, friends and stuff. Okay. People had mentioned your name and said yeah. you were a good guy. So when Jamo had said that he'd met you, I was like, oh, awesome. So did you meet after the, the investment? Investment, yeah. 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 Okay. yeah. yeah. And what, um, what, I suppose, the, the build-up to this would be the question, why, mm. why did you invest mm. in Sanctus? But it was it, I guess before that, was there any key factor that led to... Uh, investing in Sanctus, like I think, I think James spiked my drink. Probably, I think. <laughs> I, don't, I don't actually drink, so it wouldn't have taken much. <laughs> Your orange juice. <laughs> yeah, he dropped a whiskey in there. <laughs> um, it, um, I guess that you know, I, I'm, I met James when he was doing this the potential stuff and doing, you know, the syndicate things. And I only met him a couple of times and uh, around that. And then he got in touch with me and Mike Elborn, who also is an investor who worked at the bakery at the time. And, you know, he said he was starting this new thing, you know, Sanctus. And it was an idea at that 
time it was it was nothing at yeah, that time really yeah. mm. and it was a story really mm. it was it was really james's story i think and um we and we went out we did go out for a drink and he told us about what he was doing and i guess it kind of resonated with me and and it's a fascinating thing isn't it because i think that when you do those things it you know it's obviously you know, a lot of these things are a bit of a punt, right? Mm. You know, you don't, you never know. And obviously it's, there's nothing really there to tangible. You can't look at numbers. Any kind of business plan is completely fabricated and you just either buy into what someone's telling you or not. And, but I could, I guess I, I bought into him and his story, but also believed that there was a need for this kind of thing in the space. And I could see there's an opportunity you you know you just never know whether someone's going to execute on that and you know it's a relative, it's a tiny amount of money right it's not a lot of money and there were a bunch of other you know people that were putting little bits in that you know I vaguely knew most of those people and you think well mm. you know it's very limited downside but be kind of amazing if it worked mm. and you know, and but it, it, it's an element of I believed, you know, a bunch of the things that I've done in this area I do because I believe they're the right things to do and that they're things that are valuable in other ways apart from just financially. They're valuable to society as a whole, whatever that means, mm. whatever society really means. But um, so, yeah, it's just really kind of a belief and an, an idea. This felt like a good thing to be doing and that there was an opportunity and and I could see that he was solving a bit of a problem in the market, mm. you know? Like, if you're a company, how do you hire this sort of service? It doesn't exist, mm. you know? It's a bunch of, just loads of um, sole operators, mm. you know? So you might find a great coach or therapist or something, but that's really difficult for a lot of companies to buy. Mm. Or people, yeah. And But you say it's a small amount of money, like, for you know, for me, like 10, 20, 30 grand, whatever it is, it's still a lot of money mm. yeah. um, to me. So for somebody to, to, for somebody to give you or invest in you, especially when it's just you, 10 grand is a, is a lot of money. To, and I know to JMO, like that is a real sense, that is a real statement of belief in somebody, which is, I don't think I can describe really on this podcast. Yeah. It's an amazing feeling. And I, I mean, I think the fascinating thing with you guys though, is that actually in the end, you didn't need the money no. really. No. Like it was a, it was a comfort factor for him. But every time he sent a kind of update, it was basically, I've still got the money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't worry, I've still got the money. <laughs> no. You know, and I, I think that you could have done it. You could have done it without, but it obviously gave you, it gives you a little bit of... Um, it gave confidence. Yeah, confidence. Confidence and belief of like other people that we trust and respect, you know believe in us yeah it definitely does yeah. and i think when you talk about the way you invested there i don't know what your perception of uh, investment is scotty but i've grown up watching dragon's den yeah. and i thought <laughs> investment was i would pitch to you so me and you would sit mm. down now you would be like should present to me for three minutes let me see your business plan yeah this isn't gonna make a return in three years so i'm out yeah <laughs> and duncan bannatine i'm out and you know obviously we we run these sorts of events with uh, you know the corporates and startups and uh, but we very much make them 
not like that. They're not, you know, this whole the theatrical thing and these, these people in a position of power that are grilling these people that are desperately asking them for money. And, and obviously TV shows set up to create that tension, you know, because otherwise it would probably be pretty boring, <laughs> right? Definitely, but, definitely. But, you know, and there's something quite exciting. And when it works and there's someone amazing comes on, it's, you know, really quite powerful. But in reality, you know, we try and turn these things into conversations, people by people, mm. whether it's investing or getting a contract, ultimately you're building a relationship and that relationship in many ways needs to be quite equitable for it to work. You know, it's not a power, if there's a power dynamic mm. going on and stuff, it, you know, it gets into, you know, there's a lot of things, you know, in this space, I think that is set up in that way that, and, and because I've been sold that kind of, that's how it was yeah. done. Honestly, the first time I met an investor back at Union, like my first or second year, I suited up yeah. and presented. <laughs> yes. And now when I think back, I was also setting up for a downfall because imagine if I still hadn't gone through that experience and learned that that wasn't the right way mm. of doing it. And we'd, I'd met you for the first time, I'd have probably presented to you and you wouldn't have liked that. So that would have put you off as a person. How, how would I'm, you have reacted? If yeah, that? <laughs> how do you, do you, do you find people try and pitch to you because they know you're an investor and then you kind of like, you're almost like, I want to know the real person behind this pitch. I don't want you to present to me. I, I, I mean, I think, you know, most of these things you just, you know, I was, certainly when you first meet people, you try and keep it informal, quite informal because, and I think it's, I mean, again, this is kind of how I operate generally, you know, even when I'm hiring people, I find more out from people from having a relatively informal conversation with them and talking about them and their lives and what they like and what they want to achieve. And, mm. you you know, it, it's, a, it's those things that are really important. And certainly with a really super early stage stuff, mm. it, you've got to buy into the person you've got to believe a that uh, they're doing this in uh, I, I guess trustworthy is the right may, maybe phrase you know do you trust this person and do you believe that they're going to give this their best shot you know you don't want someone who's just going to walk out on it after six weeks ago well, that yeah. was difficult right or someone who's going to run off with the money or mm. just see it as a, a quick way of paying mm. themselves some cash so you know and I've seen people have you who, seen people do that? Well, I've heard yeah. stories. Yeah. I mean, fortunately, that's never happened mm. to me. <laughs> it's, um, you know, it, and things fail, right? But as, if people have given it their best shot, you know, and when those things fail, it is massively stressful for people as well. Mm. And, uh, you know, that's really, you've been mm. through that process, mm. right? When mm. things fall apart. But I've never invested in somebody like my own money, like yeah. 10 grand of my own money, and then... I, I suppose I'd need to have enough money for that 10 grand to be, for me to, it's like going to the casino in a weird way. Like I'm okay with that 10 grand. I don't know, this is why I'm really interested. Yeah, yeah. Like, is it like that? Do you mind if you lose that 10 well, grand? Like you've got to have enough to not worry. 
Yeah, I don't go to the casino. <laughs> I, w- I was going to put it in firm, uh, terms of like gambling before. Like, mm. is, is it like you're going to the races and putting your life savings on a, mm. a I mean, horse, or is it like a ten pound accumulator? I can't wait. Yeah, I can't wait to be able to put ten grand into two young entrepreneurs. <laughs> I can't wait. But for right now, I've probably only got about ten grand in my bank, so <laughs> less. Like, I, less. I've got an idea. I want to pitch you. <laughs> yeah. So for me to give all that to somebody would I wouldn't want them to fail. I'd be so over leveraged that I would be, you know, kind of fixated on them because I'd really need them to mm. succeed because my my wealth and my, you know, career is in their hands yeah. now. So, And I think people make those mistakes. I've seen, uh, you know, there, there was somebody who I know put quite a lot of their own money into an accelerator and the belief, they bought the thing that this was going to deliver. Mm. And it was at a time in the UK and London when Accelerators were difficult because there wasn't the investor profile at the back end to raise money from. You know, it was really hard in 2011, 2012 for anyone coming out of an accelerator in London or the UK to raise money. What is an accelerator? Sorry? What is an accelerator? Good question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What is an accelerator? An accelerator is... What is an accelerator? Really briefly, it's (laughs) like we we did it, me and JMO and Tom's done it. You go on to this like three-month program it's like uni for, for founders and startups. You get an investment, you get about a 15 grand investment when you go in, you go through three months, and then for the three months they like support, you get supported and you meet mentors, you meet investors. It's like an incubator uh, for founders. So for me and Jamo, it was amazing. It was like, mm. it's the best learning experience ever. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then when you get out of it, you're, this is the thing, you're supposedly more investable at the end, so then you raise, you're able to... It's like a qualification in many ways. You know, yeah, it's yeah. just meant, literally the word accelerate, it, it takes you from one place to the next and it should improve your business, Okay. essentially. But a lot of accelerators are set up around getting people ready for investment, really. Mm. You know, it's a three-month thing and what you, you're spending three months polishing a pitch deck, really, mm. and, you know, and then they put on some demo day and wheel in some investors and that is a bit Dragon's Den like, mm. you know, you get up on stage and you, and you know, the fascinating thing is that when I went on the accelerator, I went on in, I don't know, 2007, 2008, there was this, this you know, thing called the Difference Engine that was run in Middlesbrough. They organized a, a pitch day for us in London and we, they did it at Microsoft's offices. And I think there were 20 people there Mm. And John Bradford, who ran that, he then went on to run a, a big accelerator, an American one called Techstars in London. And he, I think in 2014, 15, he did his last demo day. He did it at the Genesis Cinema. There were 700 people there. Hmm. Like, so in six years, that world had gone scene. from 20 people mm. to 700. You know, it gone from being virtually impossible to raise any money out the back of it. Mm to you know people fighting to get into those deals but i remember as well at that time i remember thinking this is my only opportunity to pitch and get an investment i genuinely treated as like if i was to meet you for the first time in my head i thought i've got this one meeting with tom i've got to impress him and if i don't Mm. it's gone the opportunity for his investment is gone and it made me treat investors like a cash machine it Mm. made me treat it wasn't a human experience. I, was, I, I became really transactional because I thought that's how it worked. Yeah, and I, I think it, it feels like that and it's like feels scary and it feels like a one-hit thing. But I think for many 
people is very much about building relationships. People like, you know, to see you progress, see you develop, keep, you keep coming back telling the story, oh, we've done this, this, this. You know, again, mm. it's uh, trusty, you know, it, yeah, J it's, James yeah. was, you know, kind of lucky he w had been in that world enough that he knew about enough people and people trusted him, him enough. So they knew his background and story. He hadn't, he wasn't like, a, hadn't mm. just walked off the street, you mm. know? And what, but, I, yeah, I didn't realize that the relationships we were building with people that, actually it's the people around us that we were really like just good to in ourselves they're the people actually two or three years down the line that eventually introduced us to people like you mm. and I didn't realise that's how it works yeah and, and I think it's just the thing is that it's a small world and it's quite you know it, it it's tricky because you know for people that aren't connected in that world that's when it becomes hard you mm. know it feel, mm. feels impenetrable and mm these you know people are unreachable because who are they you know unless someone introduces you you don't know the, who these people are right and um and that is difficult uh, and it becomes this weird mysterious kind of little mm. clique if it's not careful and mm -hmm. you know i uh, you know it, another detour if we're not careful but you know hmm. we very much the, the danger is we live in this bubble right we live this we, we live in London, work in Shoreditch, you oh, know, yeah. it's like this, a bubble in a bubble yeah. kind of thing. And um, see the world as full of opportunity because of the things that we do. Mm. And that's amazing. But if you, I mean, it's interesting that John ran that, the Accelerate that I went on up in Middlesbrough, because that is a very, very different, different part world. of the world. Definitely. Yeah. You, you've said before, Scotty, like just, you know, even today, just meeting one of our investors, it's a new thing for you, you know, like... Yeah, it's like an, like, it's an enigmatic world for me, because, <laughs> like, I mean, do you, are you, like, looking to invest all the time, or because of, like, I suppose, like, would you consider yourself an investor, or would, so do people come to you and the opportunities kind of arise? Or are you looking to kind of go, I want to invest in I'm something? I'm not, I, some people obviously are very actively looking, and, yeah. and I'm much more, well, there's two sides. Obviously, as a business, we there's an investment component of our business, which is kind of a very different thing. And we work with corporates who are investing their money in startups, mm. and that's quite a different process. In that, you know, we end up working with you know corporate venture people and M and A teams, and so in that sense, you are an investor in, in a way. And that's you know, it's different. But again, we're very privileged because. In that dynamic, we, we we sit between the two parties. We sit on both sides of the table. We and we obviously can see both what both parties need to get out of it, and we want to look after both their interests. Mm. Which sounds like a contradiction, mm. but that's quite powerful, you know. And and it's amazing that you know corporates often want you know, quite restrictive terms sometimes naturally because, you know, their legal teams are set up to protect their interests. Mm. But, you know, the startups would be very, you know, constrained by that to the point where they shouldn't take that money. So we have to go back and negotiate those terms. It'd be very difficult often for a startup to go back to that M&A mm. team or legal team. So you've team. learned a lot personally just and, being in the middle of and that. And we sit in yeah. the middle and find that as an intermediary people listen to us in a different way and we're able to go mm. back to a startup and say this is what they're saying and this is why they're saying it mm. 
you know, so it's a it's a fascinating thing, and we're looking for companies, uh, you know, who are you know at the right stage, doing the right things to invest in effectively on their behalf. So that's a very different dynamic. But then the personal stuff has that been kind of almost that's, that's much more I would organic, organic and opportunistic. Cool. Um, and I suppose to kind of come towards the end, mm. I kind of want to get an idea of what like the relationship is like now, like mm. obviously the, there is a fairly connected relationship, mm. but like from both sides, how often are you thinking of Sanctus in terms of, uh, you know, I want a return on my investment or are you thinking of like, I just want to stay with this company and how often are you thinking of? Mm. I mean, it, it, it's, a, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because, uh, because like your podcast last week, you're kind of saying, well, would we sell? Would, yeah. we, you know, where where, we, where does this go and how long do we, do we do this for 50 years, you know? I probably won't be around in 50 <laughs> years. I'm like, shit. <laughs> <laughs> what was your reaction to that? Were, were I, no, I mean, I think it's great. I mean, I think all the things you're referencing, like the Nike things and the Patagonia yeah. thing, you know, you can see that these things take a long time, mm. you know, to build... You know, if you want to build a substantial brand that's doing something good and meaningful in the world then that's going to take a while mm. even if you did have a load of cash dropped on you mm. you know it still takes a long long time mm. but i guess you know there's that you know what i, I and I, I guess with you guys it's, it's fascinating that there's a tension between the scale of your ambition but the grounded in reality thing you know i you know, I introduced um, you guys to uh, an, another investor who would have put a lot of money into you, I think. And mm. I think that they were really super keen to do that. Mm. And um, we you said almost, no. We almost turned it down. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And you, you you, were like, yeah, we don't want that. It's, um, you know, you don't want, you know, so there's a tension between how you want to, you know, and I th again, retain control uh, you know, be able to set your own path, have people wrapped around the business that trust you and aren't going to interfere, but will provide support if you need it. Because mm. again, it, investors of all different types, if you're too focused on, you know, obviously if you're running a big fund, it, you have to think about the end, right? I, That's I really important. So yeah. you can then have to put pressure on a company to grow and develop to deliver the return that you need to get out of your money mm. and then that can be very difficult i think i think that is your question scott is is something that i get asked by friends and stuff it's like you're, you've got such a pure mission mm. but at the same time you've got investors like people yeah. have backed that and will will want to return at some point will, yeah. will they and you're obviously working and people know i'm kind of like entrepreneurial so you wouldn't be doing it unless you saw a big something big in the future so yeah people just kind of always challenge me on on that thing of like the pureness of it versus the kind of commercial element mm. i think people find it i don't know it's just a really interesting like te like you use that word kind of tension of like reality mm. versus ambition yeah yeah would would you i suppose this will be the final question mm. you talked at the start about effectively how people see business only with the um the idea of valuing your business financially um 
would is that the key part here so like even though you've put 10k in then you're not necessarily seeing i need you know x amount of money back i i need to know that the return of investment may be in other different ways but you also believe that that 10k would be worth more in the future yeah but there is a, in terms there of is like a belief. the simplest uh, mm, yeah um if you could only get one out of it i suppose in terms of what sorry what so if you if say it was 50 years in the future yeah hmm. um would you be happy knowing that you'd invested in a greater social impact or that are you thinking deep down well i know i i, I see the potential so you know and that could be worth 100k yeah. 100k or or impact yeah. tom <laughs> if you had to choose years, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, let's say let's scale for five to ten years yeah yeah um, it's a tough one. It, it's it, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because I, I guess that when you come back to your kind of gambling analogy, on some level you haven't written that money off as such, and you know you know that as long as as long as you guys are growing and doing what you need to do then that sort of still mm. exists somewhere in the world but it becomes a bit intangible in that way and and I think that I don't, I don't know if I can answer that question <laughs> that's fine that's fine I think that is the question you, you've that created is. a complete logical disconnect <laughs> in my mind between it's it's like that heart and head thing isn't it it's like one's like the passion and belief and like yeah of course the social impact is really massively important that's one of the fundamental reasons why i wanted to get involved you know if you were doing something uh, unethical in the world i would not have if james had come and said i want to set up some payday lending scheme or something i'd have been well, good luck, mate. Off you go. <laughs> but at the other side, but if he'd have said, we just want to be a two-man band and it's just going to be me and George, it's not going to be that big a yeah. business, would you have, even if it was the I, same business and super social I, impact? I, probably not, mm. no. I mean, I think that whilst you don't know and obviously have no way of knowing that you, you, know, you can ex- execute and deliver on that, mm. I think, and, and this is interesting about vision, isn't it? And... When uh, vision is a funny one, right? So mm. when I was in the band, <laughs> going mm. back to no, the beginning, no, I love this. When I was in the band, we had this manager. He was it big. It worked with some amazing bands. Really great guy. You know, some of the biggest bands in the world. And um, he had had a bit of a funny journey and experience that meant that he kind of stopped doing all that and moved back to where he was from in Harrogate and ended up sort of just doing smaller stuff because it all got a bit much for him, I think. Anyway, he sat down with us one day and he said, what I've done with other bands is, um, I say to them, what do you really want to achieve? You know, it could be anything. Um, You know, you might want to, I don't know, do a gig on the top of Mount Fuji. You might want 10 number ones. You might, you know, it doesn't matter how ridiculous it seems. Just think about what those crazy, that crazy vision ambition is um, and, you, you know, write it down. And he said, and it's just weird how those things then play out. You know, somehow you start latching on to things in the world that take you towards that goal, ambition, dream, whatever it is. And he said, and I've seen this happen with people, that they've 
set a path and somehow these things play out. And yeah. I sat there and went, what a load of rubbish. <laughs> Never heard so much <laughs> crap in all my life. And, you know, and we were quite young and we were quite cynical about this. And he said, he said, come on, just one thing. What were and we went, all right. We'd, oh, I don't know, don't know, I don't know. Be nominated for the Mercury Music Prize, right? And literally, that was the thing that happened for us, and it was the end. And it's, and I always reference that as a, like, I always go, why didn't I write down doing a gig on the top of Mount Fuji or, <laughs> or playing a gig in space or, you know, <laughs> doing the, being no, the first right. band on yes, Mars. So, and so when, so interesting. you know, James came, he didn't say, yeah, I kind of just want to do this thing and me and George are going to, you know, we'll get a room somewhere and be mm. kind of quite nice. And, you know, he sort of had this vision and this belief. And he and didn't say it to you to, to convince you. He genuinely still yeah, believes and, that and, and that attracted you. And it, and it also was, it was totally congruent with his story. It come from his, his story, yeah, yeah. his experience, why... Uh, he wanted to do that. It wasn't, again, something he had just plucked out. Yeah, it was part of, he was already on this journey to some degree, even though he hadn't started it, but he'd arrived at this place where he... He, he was doing this with it, with or without you. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, it, and that, yeah. And he could see that, that this, there was a place that it could go. So you kind of buy into that, right? You kind of buy into people's vision. And if they haven't got any vision, then that's a problem, mm. you know? So, and, um, yeah. And the lights have just cut yeah, out in this room, there's which someone maybe signals the end. It's a message from a, a higher power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Also, Either that or we need to put some more money in the meter. <laughs> that was a really nice rounded way to start from that yeah. kind of anecdote and finish and how that's important. Yeah. The lights aren't turning back on. Yeah. Um, so thank you. I, I think that's, that's it. it. Yeah, 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 thanks, guys. Honest, I feel like yeah. there's so much more. I always say this at the end yeah. of every episode, but I feel like... We've learned something. I've, honestly, yeah. I, I've, I've realized that I've known you for like the best part of two years and we actually haven't had a chance to just sit down. Like I didn't yeah. know that story about you being in, no, in a band. So put a microphone in front of me, see, and I'm off. I love yeah. it. Yeah. So we'll have you back on if you, if you don't mind at some yeah. point. So cheers yeah. so much. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks.